On today's episode of the Private Practice MBA, practice owners listen up. There are three key skills that only you can bring to your practice, and we'll cover why it's so important for you to do so. There is no doubt about it. The business of medicine is sick. And that's why the team at Amelia Aesthetics created the Private Practice MBA Podcast, where we unpack practical solutions to help plastic surgeons, residents, and even your private practice staff to go further, faster. I'm your host, Greta Nance, and each week on the podcast, we'll listen to and then break down a short lesson from our completely free business course found at theprivatepracticemba.com. Let's get started. My guest in the studio today is Robbie Poe, COO of Amelia Aesthetics, author, and one of the private practice MBA instructors. The lesson we'll be listening to today is all about the gifts of the practice owner and the opportunity costs that come with them. First, we'll hear from Robbie and then Dr. Jeremy Pyle, CEO of Amelia Aesthetics. After the lesson, Robbie and I will be back in the studio to discuss it. So whether you realize it, every small business and private practice owner has three very specific gifts. And your team needs you to leverage those gifts for the benefit of your entire organization. So let's spend just a few minutes talking about what those gifts are, how you can leverage them to inspire and guide your team, and how they will forever grow the impact which your practice is capable of making. Just like we talked about in the previous videos, as the business owner, you will always be the most powerful person in the room. And instead of spending every spare moment of your time working in the day-to-day of the business, it's far more wise of you to dedicate time to continually achieving three core responsibilities. First, serving as your organization's heartbeat and true north. Second, casting vision to your entire team on a regular basis basis. And third, identifying and cultivating key relationships for your future. For many personality types, you may hear this list and think, but but wait, like, what will I actually create? Like, what will I have to show for my work? And that's the thing about being a great business owner. Outside of your service role to your clients or to your patients, your team needs you to create the intangibles far more than anything else. Intangibles like culture and values, feelings, inspiration, and confidence, these are, these are all critical to the success of your team. And here's the thing that so many business owners miss. If you don't create things like culture and value, someone else within your organization is always going to, and it's likely going to be wrong. Worse, the culture that someone else creates in your practice is probably going to be destructive. It's so important that you as the business owner take it upon yourself to to embrace the importance of the intangibles, even though you'll never be able to point to something physical and say, hey, look, I made that. Now, before we dive deep on each of these three specific responsibilities as a business owner, I want to be really clear. Your role as a business owner, like it doesn't abdicate you from from symbolic leadership. 
Said differently, if you're walking across the parking lot with your team and you see a piece of trash on the ground, you don't get to think to yourself, hey, keeping our parking lot looking nice, that's that's not my job, that's someone else's job description. Someone else will deal with this. No, like you take that moment to show the team that you aren't beneath picking, picking up a piece of trash. And just because that doesn't fall into to, to your job description, don't fall into the trap of investing your entire day on doing things that someone else can do, all at the expense of the things that only you can do. All right, Robbie, this is going to be a good one. I'm pretty excited about this. So some of these skills that you said are just so important kind of are what some people would call soft skills. Not to put them down or anything, but they sound kind of soft. Why are things you said like culture and feelings and confidence so important to a practice? I, I think there's like a lot of confusion in some business owners' minds about what culture actually means. And the 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 most simplistic definition of culture that that I've kind of run into before is your the culture of your business it's the culmination and the combination of all the intangibles of your business like there's always the building there's always the sign on the building there's always like the laminate countertop or grant whatever it might be like these are all the tangibles right like that's not the culture that is not the culture at all of your organization the culture is it's it's the combination of all those intangibles it's the attitude it's the way that it sounds when someone picks up the phone it's if someone smiles or not when they make eye contact with a patient it's how the team members interact with each other it's what happens in the break room. It's what happens during surgery. It's like all these intangibles create the culture of your business. And here's the thing. The reason the intangibles are so important is because we know that psychologically, as human beings, we make most of our choices off of the intangibles. There's a great book called Switch where um, the authors, I think it's Dan and Heath something. It's The book is called Switch. It's amazing. And it t they take Jonathan Heights, who is a social psychologist, they take his research of the elephant rider analogy. And then it talks about how like in all of our minds, like there's a little person sitting on top of this giant elephant. And then the little person represents the, the, the kind of practical part of our minds and our brains and our thought processes. And the elephant represents the emotional part of our, of our thought processes. And like at the end of the day, the elephant has far more control than the little person that's sitting on top of the elephant who's riding it. And that if we don't acknowledge that culture, these intangibles, they, they, that they create this set of emotions, not just for our team, but for our patients. If we don't acknowledge that, then we're completely not acknowledging the fact that if we will pay attention to them, then we can affect behavior in the most powerful way. The way to make your team members happy is not to put a better microwave in the break room. The way to make your team members happy is to pay attention to how they're feeling and trying to figure out, hey, intangibly, why are they feeling the way that they're feeling? Because it's not because of the tangible things most of the time. And the same is true for the entire patient experience on what do they say in the review afterwards? Go read your five-star reviews. I guarantee you, top to bottom, there are far more mentions of intangibles than tangibles. That's why culture is so important. Oh, that's such a good takeaway. Buy the book, read your reviews, 
and then let's keep going. That's really good. Um, so you said it's super important to create your culture so someone else doesn't create it for you because most likely it won't be positive. What do you mean by that? And how do you actually know if that's happening? Yeah, yeah. So uh, most of us want very clear, defined boundaries on what the culture that we're inside of looks like. What, what, what are the rules? What are the unspoken rules? Like what, not just like, you know, what are core values and what are the operating principles, but like, what are the unspoken rules to exist and fit in to this group? of people. Now, most of us will just kind of like, you know, ebb and flow into whatever cultural environment that we step into. But there is a group of people who will say, hey, I've, I'm kind of noticing there's not the culture that I would have created in here. So I'm going to push my agenda on to this culture. We can all think of these strong personalities in our mind to where it's just like, man, if if the culture isn't defined, if the rules isn't defined, if there's no one who's kind of in charge, that person is going to make sure that they step up and they're in charge and they push their agenda forward. That is not an inherently bad thing. Like that is a great mark of a great leader. However, if you run a business, we're talking to practice owners right now. If you run a business, if you run a practice, the last thing you want is a strong personality who doesn't understand your vision for the organization to create all of these intangibles. Because like we just talked about, they're so powerful in how our team and our patients feel. And so if you've got a strong personality who doesn't have your vision, which they don't because they're not you and they're the ones who are creating your culture, you are not even going to feel at home in your own practice. And so it's creating culture is one of these things that I know it's intimidating. I know it's hard. I know casting vision is difficult. We have a whole lesson on casting vision coming up on how to do it. I know this stuff just doesn't always come naturally, but as a business owner, it is one of those things that you will either pay attention to it on the front end and learn how to create a great culture, or you will pay a lot of attention to it on the back end when you're trying to fix the culture that you're not super stoked with because you don't even feel at home in your own practice. Really good. So when you definitely start to not feel at home in your own practice, you know you're not on the right track. And that's why you've mm -hmm. got to carve out time to spend time getting it on the right track. There are so many examples I could ask you about, you know, dress code or even I'm trying to think of like the way people speak. Do you cuss a little bit? Is it a jokey environment? Like there are so many things that can get out of hand if there isn't kind of somebody setting those boundaries regularly, <laughs> because we've said it before, too. Your vision doesn't stick. So it has to be something you repeatedly show up and reinforce or it gets out of control again. And as a yeah. team member, I appreciate that. I don't have to be the one monitoring and being like, that feels weird. She's doing that. Somebody is doing it for us regularly. So that's really good. I love when Dr. Pyle like will teach through our core values, like mm -hmm. core values are cool. Like everyone should have core values. Like they're so important that they're such a guiding light and such a filter for decision-making. But when Dr. Pyle gets up and tells a story about why a core value is what it is and how it came into existence and 
why he personally values this core value, it really makes it simple. It like it really makes it just permeate and become a part. This intangible becomes a part of the culture of the organization. And it just feels really good knowing, wow, that's what Jeremy expects of us. And that's the direction that we're all going to go together. And even every day when our team does our stand up, like someone always reads something inspirational and then speaks to why this is so important in the culture of our team. And so it's just, it doesn't have to take this like, you know, once a year massive vision cast to do that. We literally cast vision to our team every single day and it takes about 45 to 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. So good. Speaking of Dr. Powell's storytelling, um, let's listen to the second part of this lesson. He kind of breaks, he does have a great story about his kids, but he talks about opportunity costs. And then I've got Mm -hmm. some questions for you. I have three kids. I love them. A lot. Also, being a parent is the most difficult thing I do, not just because it's hard, it is, but also because you don't get a grade. You never know how you're doing. And I like to know where I stand. I'm one of those people who the report card would arrive in the mail and I would rip it open the minute it arrives, even when I knew it wasn't perfect. Parenting? Not like that at all. There are no quarterly performance reports. You just have to do your best and then hope when your kids are adults that you helped make good ones. So my approach to parenting is to try and make sure my kids have a few cornerstone lessons that they hear and repeat without my being there. Ideas to which they're grounded and can always come back. One of those cornerstones is this concept called opportunity cost. And we talk about it in my house almost every day. When my six-year-old is upset that he can't have both the donuts that he wants, we talk about the opportunity cost of excess. When my eight-year-old wants to play soccer, basketball, and football in the same season, we talk about the limitations, the concrete limitations of time. When my 10-year-old wants to do the right thing but also wants everyone to like her, we talk about the opportunity cost of doing the right thing when sometimes the world wants you to choose the wrong thing. There is no more important concept for a young leader to learn than the idea that when you are doing one thing, no matter how big or small, the biggest cost is not the cost of the thing. It's in fact that you can't be doing anything else. When it comes to your time, and because very few people have more demands on their time than practice owners, you better choose wisely. Here's why. If you put yourself in a position as the leader where you need to be involved in every decision, then no decision can be made Well, you are being a doctor and no doctoring can be done while you are running your business. As a result, you have only three options. Number one, allow your business growth to be restrained by your inability to be two humans at once. Number two, clone yourself, have one working as a provider while the other runs your business. Or three, find someone else to do the stuff you can do but shouldn't while you focus on the stuff that you alone can do. Okay. Let's talk about opportunity costs. Dr. Pyle made it very simple in his example about his kids. Well, it's easy to know, no, you can't do three sports in a season. No, you can't have X number of donuts. But I know it's not that black and white when it comes to business owners. So how does the owner determine when an issue is has arisen what the opportunity cost is? Yeah, I, like when it comes to opportunity cost, I... This answer is not going to satisfy a lot of the personality types out there. I think a lot of personality types would want to see some kind of like actual like dollar projection 
of if we do this, I think it'll produce this. If we do this, I think it'll produce produce this. Like, I'm not saying there's no value in that. It is just not how my brain works. Like, I think that like when it comes to the plastic surgery space in general, that more often than not, we do way more than we ought to be doing. And so at the first thing that I feel like every plastic surgeon ought to do is radically narrow the number of procedures that they're doing. Like mm-hmm. I remember we when when I got here, we were doing some kind of like stem cell in harvesting. Like, yes, we were stem many things. cell harvesting. <laughs> I mean, it's just like and obviously like, OK, so the stem cell harvesting company comes in and they're like, hey, if you offer this, we're going to drive patients in your, into your practice and then you're going to be able to convert them into paying plastic surgery patients. And you're going to get to collect a few thousand dollars because you did this stem cell harvesting for us. And it's just like, it's so funny to me that like pitches like this can sound so sexy. And I'm just like, look, the fact that you spent time listening to this pitch means that you just lost an hour of super serving your community or your patients in order to actually create real value and real paying patients. And it's just like, that's opportunity cost. That one hour conversation is time you can never get back. And I think that when it comes to plastic surgery, we are so fortunate that this is such a high margin industry that we have this ability to say, if I spend an hour on this, or if I approve this project, or if I give my team direction to go in and solve that issue, is it going to be something that just undoubtedly leads to more surgery. Now, if you want a little bit more tangible of of a question you can ask, this is the question that I love, that it's like, not, is this another idea or is this our best idea? Like when it comes to something that like we're trying to decide to put our, our, our best effort towards, I really like getting kind of that visceral part of us involved in it to where we're like, when because it, it's really easy to say, that sounds like a good idea to me. We should go and do it. And we're so terrible so often as business leaders of actually thinking about, well, that's going to take resources. That's going to take research. Our team is going to have to become experts on yet another thing that they have to be able to answer the phone and be able to speak about. Every single time that you add a product or service to your organization, you just created an unbelievable, untrackable amount of work for your team. And I think it's just something we have to pay such close attention to that if we're not, if we're just not knocking it out of the park from a team standpoint on three, four or five or five procedures, then this conversation of opportunity cost has already blown so far out of the water. The step one, narrow your offering. Step two, protect that narrowed offering by only saying yes to things that directly, forget indirect, that directly contribute to doing more of those three to five things. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we're going here, I'm excited about this because we're six years into adopting that. But I remember how fearful not only myself, but Dr. Pyle was, and I remember Dr. Davis being the same way, like surgeons are somewhat fearful. Well, I'm good at that and I know how to do that and I know how to do that and my patients want that. I should do it all. What if there aren't any more patients? Like how do how do surgeons feel comfortable narrowing what they do and trying to, you know, start slicing off 
probably not the right pun for this industry, but Mm -hmm. stopping doing some things because I know it's really terrifying for them. I don't know that they ever get comfortable with it, if I'm being honest. Like just the the way that Dr. Pyle and our other extraordinary Amelia surgeons have explained it to me is that like so much of the way that surgeons are brought up in their their education makes them almost have this like scarcity mindset instead of this abundance mindset. And so I, I I can't imagine, I've always grown up just in a world of abundance mindset that there's there's more people in the world that we could possibly do surgery on. So what are we worried about kind of thing? Like, you know, I've just, I've, I've always just had more of, of the abundance mindset, but most surgeons I meet, they tend to have a little bit more of a scarcity mindset, which is a fun tension between, between me and them, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. I do think though, as a business owner and as a surgeon, If this is something that you want to take more seriously, then you just have to get comfortable with the fact that you will not be comfortable with it. Just see if it works. Imagine, after all, who do you want to do your surgery? The surgeon who does that surgery three times a year because they're too busy doing 72 other types of surgery. I'm being dramatic on purpose. Or the surgeon that just does that one surgery tens of thousands of times a year using dramatic numbers on purpose. But that's kind of the the purpose of this thing that imagine how much easier it would be to build a brand for yourself, to get your cost of goods sold under control, to increase your efficiency, to train your team on how to speak of all the, if there's just a, a very small number of things, your excellence goes through the roof. And excellence is one of the major things that will build your brand and keep you busy. So good. Okay. Let me ask you one more question though. Mm-hmm. Um, these three skills, we've said they're intangible. They're tough to measure. It's going to be tough for some personality types, myself included, and Dr. Pyle, I know. But then how do I know if I'm doing a good job? Like, is there anything, is there any litmus test to tell me if I'm failing at leading my practice and setting culture and creating key relationships and the things we talked about? How do I know if I'm doing a good job? Yeah. I don't know that there's like a perfect way of knowing this. Right. But like, I like to think when I look in and when I look at our team, especially the team that I lead and when it comes to these cultural things, and I'm kind of asking myself, like, how's the culture doing? One of the questions I find myself asking is, would I want to work on that team? Like, would, would, would I get excited about being a skill player on that team? Or does it kind of seem like it would be miserable to be on that team? You know, I have the luxury of I have an office, so I don't have to participate in the culture sometimes. I can just walk into my office and close the door. But that's not helpful. That's not great leadership. Great leadership is saying, wow, d- like, would I want to be? I can think about what it was like when I was a lower level skill player on the team. Like, like I, I can think of what it was like to sit in that room. And I think as surgeon owners, I think it's really important to look out across your practice with a different set of lens at some point and just say, man, would I enjoy being an MA here? Would I enjoy being a surgical tech? Would I enjoy being a nurse injector here? Or are the, and you ask yourself that question, and you, all of a sudden you start seeing all of the problems, and and it just like it, of all the way, I'm sure there's a dozen ways to really tackle this thing. But at least for me, that's always the question I find myself going back to is like if I didn't have a place where I could go and shut the door, maybe for surgeons, if I did, if I wasn't in the operating room all the time. Would I really love working here? And if the answer is, uh, I think I might not, 
obviously there's a culture problem. Mm-hmm. I think you don't even realize now that we're talking about it, how often you check in with your team leaders as well, which I know we've dug into the importance of that. You're always asking, how's the team feeling? How are the emotions? And I think that's a really good way too. like, I'll be very honest with you about how things are feeling. Even though you're not directly feeling it sometimes, you're very good at asking the different team leads, how's everybody feeling? How's everybody doing? You know, is everyone happy? So I think that's another way having trusted clued in team leaders that will honestly give you feedback about how the culture feels. Well, it's just because I know like I like this all of this conversation that we've had today. This is all like learned skill for me. Like I am just not in tune on the EQ side as much as I wish that I were. And I've just learned in my in the time that I've had the privilege of being a leader is that if if I start feeling like there is something broken with the emotions. Everyone else has known for weeks. <laughs> I'm like just super late to the party. And so having team leaders who like I trust to come to me and say, hey, the team doesn't feel great right now. Hey, like this thing just happened in the community or this thing just happened in the practice that like it's got a lot of emotions in a lot of like not great places. I would never know. And I've had to learn as a leader that even though I don't personally value these intangibles as much as the average person does, as the leader, I have to overvalue them simply because our team and our patients do. So good. I appreciate that. And it does feel good. But, you know, I'll tell you if it doesn't at some point. So um, I know we touched on the first skill of the business owner being your practice or your organization's heartbeat. But we're really going to dive into that next week. And I'm excited. Like, what does that mean? How can you keep doing that? How can you show up and be that and why it's so important? So don't miss next week. But if you'd like to watch this video of the course in its entirety, you can always do that for free at the privatepracticemba.com. And we will see you next week. Thank you, Robbie. 